you, there are a million different pieces of paper. I'm going to go over some of them real quick. Uh, the one that I don't have is a little threefold brochure that talks about <clears throat> fasting and praying leading up to uh, September 19th, which is going to be our kickoff service. It's a moment for us to regather as a church, invite people to join you, because after each service, we're having tri-tip. Just our way of kicking off a new year of ministry, being excited about it, and eating meat in the process. All of that is good. And so if you have friends who are thinking, man, I would really like that person to come to church and meat would probably make a difference. Uh, this card <clears throat> is, is perfect for you because you can take that. You can invite somebody that you know who doesn't yet know Jesus, bring them back with you on the 19th. And then the stuff in the brochure is a bunch of prayer meetings that are leaning into that because we're going to lean into everything that God wants to do beyond what you and I can do. We want to see God do great things. And so all the info is in that brochure. So I'm going to stop talking about that. 19th is right here. Use this uh, to invite people that you know, again, who don't yet know Jesus because invitations matter and special services matter because there's a reason for us to invite people. Before the 19th, we are just like going and rewind. The 12th is something that we started a while ago because it's a made-up holiday to invite people to church. Uh, it's called Teacher Appreciation Sunday. A lot of kids are back in school. A lot of you have kids that are back in school. And every single one of those kids has a teacher. And a lot of our church, like you two over there and a lot of others of you, uh, are teachers. And so we want to take a moment and recognize those of you who are doing such a big thing in our community to raise up the next generation. So if you're a teacher, join us next week. We're going to pray for you. We're going to bless you. And the message is actually going to go along with that. And if you have kids who are in school, send them to school with one of these. This is a card they can give to their teacher to just say, we're going to pray for you at church on Sunday. I would love it if you came to church with me because we're going to give you a gift and we're going to pray for you. So that's all coming up next week, the week after that, and then the time in between. If you're here for the fresh first, second, or third time, or you've just never filled this out, uh, go ahead and do that. I'm about to give you 20 minutes or so to take care of that. All right. As you can tell from the artwork behind me, we are starting a new series. It's called The Saving Life of Jesus. What happened that actually goes to where we are? It's kind of like, in my mind, it's similar to a wedding. All right, when Anna and I got married back in 2004, January 24th, it rained on the wedding day, but other than that, everything is awesome, and I like the rain, so it was a good thing. We never said, I do. Right, like that's one of those phrases that people have around weddings that it's gonna happen. You're gonna walk down the aisle. You're gonna say, I do. For the record, only one person walks down the aisle. Both people walk up the aisle. Uh, the guy, we're already here because that's how it is for us. Um, we never said I do, like totally skipped over it. Now when I do weddings, and if I did your wedding, you know I make a big deal about this because like, like the pastor forgot in ours, literally forgot. Going through the notes, skip over it, never said I do. But we're still married. And a lot of times when we go to weddings, you walk in, you sit down, you see some stuff, one thing leads to another, and at the end of the show, people are married. Like, that, that's just how it is. And we don't really take apart what happens in all of that. So the I do, for those of you who are taking notes, the I do is your vow to God. This is the type of spouse that I'm going to be. And so that's why you say I do. And typically at that point, if I'm doing the ceremony, you're looking at the pastor. And then you turn and you face your spouse, and your future spouse. Within a few minutes, our spouse. But if you've already filled out the marriage license, it's already your spouse. It's complicated. <laughs> And then you say, this is the type of spouse I'm going to be to you. So there's a vertical, the I do, and then the to you, the horizontal part. And that goes with the marriage license. So all this stuff leads to one thing leading to another, somebody getting married. And now the two have become one, and somebody has to change their last name and go through all that headache. With the life of Jesus, it's kind of like that, right? He's born on Christmas, he does something on Easter, and one thing leads to another, and we're saved. 
Like that's how it is, or that's how you understand it to be for Christians, how that works. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take apart all of the one thing that leads to another that turns into Jesus being God. So what are those things? I mean, he's born, and then one thing leads to another, and and Christians believe that he's God. What is it? We're going to take those apart. And this begins with the big word. The big word is the incarnation. That's made up of a bunch of little words that we're all familiar with. We're putting flesh. We're combining them together. Because the incarnation is the Son of God becoming human by a supernatural conception in Mary's womb. Lots of big words. And it like centers, at this point, it centers all on biology. Because the incarnation, because Jesus becoming human, is a very biological thing. That he didn't just stay God. He didn't just pick up a human when things were going well for that person. He actually became human. In in Philippians 2, which is the verse that's on the bottom of the screen, that's where we're going to be for for a lot of the day. Uh, A guy named Paul is writing, and he's unpacking this, what it means for actually God to take on human form and step into the incarnation. And he says this in verse 6. He says, though he was God, Jesus being God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, and he took the humble position of a slave. Like right there, that's so much of what we understand the value of vulnerable, inconvenient life to be. For us as Christians and what's been in the news all this week out of what's happening in Texas, we are square in the middle of people who might not agree with us, but right here dignifies and values so much of human life. And when Jesus was born into the world, when Jesus was supernaturally conceived within his mom's womb, it was a very inconvenient time for her. She was unmarried. She was unmarried in a culture where that had severe penalties to her. If you're a mom who has walked through a very inconvenient pregnancy, and if it ended in abortion, what I want to say very clearly right away is that God sees the baby and God sees you. And God has love and forgiveness and mercy and restoration for you. We see that because Jesus was an inconvenient, unexpected pregnancy. And through that, God changed the world. So right away, we have our understanding of life. We have our understanding of the fact that life matters, that vulnerable life matters, that that unexpected life matters. And through that, God begins to work. But what does that have to do with salvation? First off, that has to do with salvation because it shows that God started it. God started it. This whole thing of God taking on skin, moving into the person of Jesus, he started it from the beginning. This was his idea. It isn't like God looked around and he saw this person, Jesus, living in Palestine, and everything was going well for him, and God decided, you know what, I'm going to take this person, and when Jesus got baptized, you can read about this, and some people read it and just decided this is the way that it was. When Jesus came out of the water, the heavens opened, a dove, which symbolized the Holy Spirit, came down and rested on Jesus, and God's voice spoke and said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. That wasn't God being introduced to Jesus, like, okay, uh, this guy is up, and I think this is the best person that we're picking for our team. This is something that God started very in the very beginning of Jesus' life. This happened in the beginning. And what this is, is this is a picture of God's up-close love for you and me. God doesn't stumble onto anybody. God doesn't turn around and, whoa, there is that person that I didn't know before, that I had never seen before. 
God willingly took on human form, limited form, to live up close with you and me. And I was thinking about that this week. What, is that, what does that mean? How does that, like, what's significant in that? I really don't like being hungry. So when we, as Christians, when we talk about fasting, which means you go without something to direct your mind towards more spiritual things, my go-to thing is breakfast. Because that's like a built-in alarm clock from my gut saying, hey, you need to think about something else. Because right now, you're thinking about food. And food is a very, very good thing. So God willingly became hungry for you and me. God willingly became tired. God willingly, like next week is supposed to be a lot cooler once we get after Tuesday. God willingly lived in a desert and did all of this with big robes that he had to wear everywhere for you and me. God got a backache for you and me. God got tickled. If you hate being tickled, you hate being touched. God got all those things for you and me. And the reason was, is he stepped into human history, into our life to show us an upfront, up close love. It's one thing to go through a sacrifice because that's what needs to be done. You know, that's just part of being mature is you do things because they need to get done. But when Jesus put on human history and stepped into the world, he's starting it. He's doing it to demonstrate love to you and me. It's not just that God had this idea. It's that God initiated in the life of Jesus a personification, a body with skin on it to demonstrate what up-close love looked like. And so God became human. He started it because he was on a mission to save sinners like us. If you're here and you're not a Christian or if you are a Christian, this is what it all, stand, that all comes down to is that God saves sinners. That you and I, by our own choice, by our own actions, by our own volition, we are sinners. We run from God in every single chance that we get. And so God sent Jesus into the world to change that. And that always was his plan, was to pay for sin and bring us back into relationship with him. And the thing is, is that God had to send Jesus into the world. The incarnation, you know, Jesus putting on flesh, putting on meat and becoming human like us. It was something that had to happen because only God could forgive sins and only a human could pay for the sins of all humanity. And you think, well, why didn't God just kind of like take care of it himself? We're going to get into that in a few weeks. But the short answer is justice. The short answer of why God just couldn't just like hit command A, highlight everything and delete was because then there'd be no justice. Every time that we've experienced wrong, every time that something nasty has been done to us, God sees it. And in his time and in his way, he will vindicate us. That's why the Bible says don't take revenge. It doesn't just end there and say don't take revenge, just suck it up and deal with it. The answer is don't take revenge because leave that to God. That's the reason why, is because God is a God of justice who couldn't just highlight and delete all of our sin, but instead he pays for it. The incarnation is Jesus standing with us when life at its worst happens to us. The second thing that it shows us is that God planned it. God planned it. Salvation was God's idea. So picking back up in Philippians says he gave up his divine privileges. He took on the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Like the crucifixion of Jesus to save the world was completely and, and deliberately and meticulously and de detailed oriented wise planned out by God. And I was thinking about this this week, like what are the what ifs in my life that if they would have gone another way, like what would have happened? 
So Anna and I met at the Denny's at 41 and Jensen around midnight in January of 2000. So if everybody's like, I met my wife at a stakeholders meeting for our like highly successful business. No, nah, dude, I was Jensen and 99 or Jensen and 41 Denny's like that, that. That's just us. So I thought for a second, what if I didn't go that night? What if our friend who knew both of us, but we didn't know each other. What if he didn't invite me? What if he just invited her? Like would she be somebody else? No, because I'm not awesome. Um, <laughs> but then, then I rewinded a little bit. Like the only reason I was in Fresno was because I came up here to run. So what if I wasn't fast? Well, let's rewind the tape again. And now this is the typical 10th grade boy response. If you have a 10th grade boy and you're thinking, where's his brain? I'm gonna solve all of it for you, okay? Um, I ran cross country in ninth grade and it was terrible. Something happened between ninth grade and 10th grade where a girl invited me to go to practice in the middle of the summer and run for fun. There's one reason why any guy would ever show up to that practice to run for fun in the middle of the summer, and that's because it's a girl. So I don't show up to practice. Things don't change within my legs, and I'm not running in college. It means I'm not in Fresno, which means I'm not taking an invitation to go to Jensen and 41 Denny's late in the night in January of 2000, and I meet my wife, and I somehow end up at Mountain View and then plant or work at Sunnyside, and now we're here. It all started with an invitation from a girl. The thing is, is that God loves each and every one of us with the same level of detail and concern and meticulousness. And that's how he put together the cross. The cross, the, the moment where God gives his life for our sin and we take all of our filth, put it on God and receive all of his righteousness was completely planned out. It was completely planned out. Once again, it's a relationship with God that was his idea. And if God's son hadn't become human, nothing else that we're going to talk about over the next 11 weeks or what we're going to look at in Alpha, none of that is going to happen. God doesn't become human. God doesn't teach. God doesn't become human. Jesus doesn't lay his life down for us on the cross. God doesn't become human in Jesus. And there's no forgiveness of sins. There's no resurrection from the dead. There's no defeat of the devil that happened as a result of all those things. All these happened because the incarnation started them to happen and God planned it into effect. All this began with God turning the key on salvation and the rest of human history has completely changed. So you're probably asking, and we'll ask this question every week, what's the big deal? How does this impact me? In my nine to five job, changing tires, what, big, what, what does it matter to me that God became human? And that's where I want to end. Because the incarnation shows God's a big, big ability to become really small. The incarnation shows God's big ability to become really small. Nothing that we've read so far changes our life for most of us. Some people, you're going to read things that's going to get your heart, and that's going to change everything for you. For the rest of us, the way that God becomes real in this sense isn't because of how big he is, but because of his ability to move into your life. Is God in charge of what's going on in Afghanistan? Is God in charge of COVID? Is God in charge of everything that's happening all over the world? Yes, and he's also in charge of your meeting tomorrow that you're not excited about. He's in charge of that addiction, the battle that you've got going on in your head that you are dead certain that nobody else knows about. And he's, here, he's heard you ask, God, will you take away this? 
Where are you with my marriage? Where are you with my job? Where are you with our house that we're trying to get? Where are you with this? The same God who controls the universe took on skin as a way to save the world, but also as a way to say to you and me, I am there. And for some of you, that's what's prevented you from becoming a Christian because you think that bringing God into your life has meant that so many things, too many things are going to have to change. It's gonna be too much for him because you have done too much. And so what I wanna make abundantly clear is that's not how this works. And the reason that we see that is that God left everything to identify with us. I mean, the passage concludes, therefore, because of everything that Jesus did, becoming a human, giving up his life on the cross to pay for our salvation, therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's a bunch of stuff, and the way that that takes root is where it gets really small, and it gets into our life. I mean, last week we had a healing service and we asked God the question, okay, what do you want to do for every person in this room? And then you had a response, you had an opportunity to go and pray with the pressure on the side. The reason that happens is because God isn't just the big God that sees the whole world, but he's the God who gets small and sees you. So as we look at this today, I think that the reminder for us that God sees me is how we're going to close today. And that's with communion. Communion is the representation that Jesus became a human. That's what the little wafer, that's what the little bread represents. It represents a body that he became like us. He was born in human form like us. He got hungry. He got tired. He ached. All these things that we experienced, he experienced. But it wasn't just that. There was something more. And that is what the blood represents. Or the the juice represents the blood which is Jesus' perfect, sinless life, and the blood which mediates a covenant between us and God. So we give God our sin, and he invites us into a relationship with him. So the worship team is going to come up. We're going to pray. And then as our response today, we're going to take communion. What this is, is us acknowledging in our lives that God became small for me. That where is God in my marriage? Where is God in my finances? Where is God in getting through school this year? Where is God in my relationship with my parents? Like, what's going on? That is God's answer to that, to say, I'm there. And just like I came into the world to make a difference, I want to come into your life to make a difference. I want to come into your addictions. I want to come into your struggles. I want to come into the relationships that flat out can't get right. I want to come in and I want to restore them. That is the God we serve. That is the God who loves you. That is the God who moved into the world to remind you of that and lead you into a relationship with him around that every day. Let's stand and pray.